You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Um, I wanted to jump in before I, I give, go into the message and introduce the series. I wanted to, um, if any of you came last Sunday on Easter as the first time to the Village, we're glad you're back if you are back. Uh, it's not easy to step into a church, but to take that step, we're glad you're here. But I also want to really um, give much props to those of you who invited friends and family. It, we had a lot of people who were guests of others, and it was encouraging for me to be able to see that at work um, and just see as many people experience the love of God as possible. And um, I think it ties into this new series that we're jumping into, just a short one for three weeks that we're calling Propel. Uh, my mom, my wife was like, you, are you talking about like an energy drink or something? Isn't that, I, I, I thought it was a good name. And I was like, oh man, darn, that is an energy drink. But it's all good because I think it has the same connotation of what we're thinking here. Because um, we're talking about a life lived on mission. And we're talking about this idea. It's in some sense, it's almost uh, the idea that we find in the book of Acts chapter one, verse eight. And I think it's up on the screen here. But it's describing uh, this new people of Jesus. And it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it's a powerful image because what happens is you see Jesus. He's lived his life. He's died his death. He's conquered sin and the grave. And you would think, all right, now he's back. Now we're really going to put this into action. What does he do? He leaves. It's like, oh, okay, bye, Jesus. What are we going to do now? And and he's assuring them, no, you're actually going to keep going with this. You you don't need me physically here. That's why you got this uh, person called the Holy Spirit who will fill you and you will have much power. You are going to have the same authority I did. And and it's this picture we have geographically even. I would say it goes even beyond geographical borders. But starting right here where you're at in Jerusalem, the cultural center of the city, and it's going to propel outward to Judea, Samaria, ultimately to the ends of this earth. I mean, it's, it's, it's this amazing, powerful picture of the people of God moving forward through the power of God. It's this propelling action outward. Here's my goal. Here's my goal starting today and then for the next three weeks. I want us to marinate. I I like that word because I like grilling, right? But I like that word marinate because it's like soaking in it, letting it just permeate us. I want us to marinate in this understanding, whether you're hearing it for the first time or maybe it's a good reminder for you, um, that life is meant to be journeyed following Jesus into the world. I hope that sounds kind of simple. But it's got deep ramifications. That, that life is meant to be journeyed following Jesus into the world. Here's where I'm coming from. Um, as I scan kind of cultural moves, especially when it has to do with Christians and the church, I've noticed that there are some different expressions of popular thought right now that are gaining some traction, depending on the cultural um, setting it's in. Um, it's almost like this, that there's a response to cultural shifts in, in Western civilization. So maybe in America, some people are noticing, oh, wow, things are really changing in America right now. This is, wow, this is becoming a darker place. Wow, you know, to be a Christian in America now, it's becoming um, almost hostile. Um, 
wow, there's just a lack of civil and moral kind of community in America, in the West. We are losing our fabric of who we are. We are losing a sense of decency. We're losing a sense of good kind of like... Um, we're, we're like, we're just not good people anymore. And, and maybe in previous generations, people put their hope in this American empire to produce a civil moral people. That to be American meant you would become a good neighbor, a good citizen. You would build to the fabric of what makes this nation great. But it's that people are acknowledging what we have now is not that anymore. We're, we're kind of losing that. Our contemporary world actually is, it's just like this dark forest, this dark wood. And I'm really oversimplifying here. I'm really oversimplifying here. But it's this almost idea that simply being Christian in this culture of, of, of moral chaos, of cultural fragmentation, um, this is not going to be sufficient anymore to bring transformation. Because American society, it's not neutral anymore about about Christianity. Whereas maybe we could say that America was a Christian nation. Oh, we are way past that now. Um, people are hostile, actually, to the Christian faith. Um, and, and I think aside from, ex- some, there's some extreme people are saying, oh, well, we need to start communes and we need to become like monks. Like, really, Ruve? I think that's the fringe kind of extreme. But, but I think, um, even though most proponents wouldn't say this me- be- means becoming a monk, because you still got to work. You still got to be around non-Christians, but it's more about this concept, we're not going to try to live within the norms of this society anymore, because it's way past that point. There's no coming back. It's jacked up. It's dark. Um, We're going to start our own communities. We're going to start our kind of removed own civilizations, mini civilizations, where our end goal is producing a certain kind of virtue. That our end goal is we are going to show how we should truly live as people who know Jesus, who are decent, moral people. Um, That in response to really a cold cultural climate, um, as Christians, yo, we need to get back to focusing inward. We got to stop trying to make a difference. We need to focus inward and we need to grow to people, to be the people who truly know God and how that changes our life. Again, I am oversimplifying this to like way extremes. Um, and I, I would actually say though, there, I think there's some valid thought there. I, I think there's a little bit about that. I do believe our larger culture here in America, especially, I think it is growing increasingly hostile to values found in scripture. Um, the values, if you follow God that you would choose to live by, it will become increasingly foreign in America. I think that's just a, a no-brainer. And I know when we hear stuff like that, some of us, we respond by saying, oh, come on, don't be ridiculous. You know, we were always meant to be a minority. We're always meant to be light and darkness and salt. We're not meant to be the power brokers. And this is not supposed to be an empire. And we're spo- That's true. I affirm that. But guys, let's, let's not be naive. Because sometimes in America, because of our relative privilege, we can say, oh yeah, we're supposed to be persecuted. That's what the church is. Do you really know what that means? Because <laughs> around the world, that means your church gets blown up on, on, uh, on worship day. That means you get beheaded because people find out you're a Christian. That means because of the very fact of who you say that you follow as, as your religion, you will be ostracized from work, from professional opportunities, from family. That, that's real, guys. Let's not like have be naively saying, oh yeah, you know what? We're meant to be. No. That, that's hard. 
That's real. And I'm, I'm not saying prophetically, oh, that's where America's headed to. But let's not just jump into this saying, oh, yeah, you know what? The world is going to hell and it's dark and all. But yeah, we're, but we're cool. We love. No, it's it's I think it's real. And, and I, I think it'll continue to grow in that direction. Um, I do believe that a new community is required. I do believe a new community formed teaching how to live. I think it's required. I, I would call it the church. And I think there's some validity in, in even this critique that says, you know what? Too many people have put their hope in this kind of American Western empire idea of becoming good. We need to have a reformation from there. Just being American is not going to make us good people anymore. So I think there's wisdom in, in people of God asking, how do we need to be more deeply transformed? Just being good people is not enough. How will we look inward and be deeply transformed? Here's the thing, guys. Um, I'm not even going to go into this, but aside from certain cultural privilege that I think sometimes these things reveal, there's a lot of issues of race. A lot of issues of, of city versus not. I think, I think there's some dangerous directions and really kind of bringing people into more divided cultures. But all of that notwithstanding, um, I think it loses sight of the call that God has given his people to follow him. Because scripture never tells us to put our hope in a more civil, um, more moral society that will help our next generation of children to become good citizens. Scripture doesn't talk in that kind of language. Um, Actually, the Bible seems to say that the world is broken. And in some instances, it's going to continue to grow increasingly so. I'm not saying that things are not going to get better in some ways. Hey, people of different color can sit and eat dinner together now outside. That's advancement. That's good, right? So it's not all bad. But I think it's naive to say, oh, we're just getting better as a people. I, I don't think the Bible promises that. I think this, we should not be shocked when you look around the world, you know, what the heck is happening? You should say, oh, well, that, the Bible says that. That's sin. That's the effects of sin. But guys, in response to that, I believe that God's people are not merely to look inward to protect ourselves and to guard our values. I don't. We look inward. We do. We ask God, I need to be transformed inside. But guys, that always has to lead to outward transformation as well. Yes, God, take me in the inner parts. Make me whole in you. Heal me. Show me a different vision of life. God, let me know that my life can be fully transformed and made new in you. But it's always so that we can express to the outside world, look at what God has done. Look at the hope found in him. That Christians, we create these beautiful new communities called the church, but it's always with the hope of reflecting to the outside world who's look at us, look at the beauty found in Christ, look at what he does. It's never for us to have our own communes. It's never meant for us to have a place where our kids are going to be safe so they can learn good Christian moral values. But it's always, yeah, let's be transformed so that the world can see how good God is and what he can do. Our lives are meant to be shared with those who do not know God. Our lives are meant to be shared with those who do not know God. Even those who are outwardly antagonistic toward God. 
even the people who look at you and if you believe in the Bible, think you're a, a mental midget, think you are a moron, think you are an imbecile, think that you believe in fairies. Do you believe in Harry Potter too? You know, like think that you are ridiculous. You're a scientist? What? From like, where'd you get your, st- how, how do you believe? People who think that Christians are the ugliest forces in America think that all of our problems actually are because of religion, even to people who might have, and maybe that's some of us here, that we love and serve and we want people to know the beauty of God, even though we might legitimately sometimes taint it. That, that's our hope. And the Bible, it gives us focus in this. It gives us direction in this. I, I'm, I'm going to read a few verses. These are not, on, not up on the screen. I'd actually ask you if you want to pick up one of the Bibles there. I want you to kind of have the experience of paging through and seeing these, or if you have your own Bible, you can do that. Um, but on, on page 694, Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 to 38. Matthew chapter 9, 37 through 38, page 694. It says, then he said to us, this is Jesus. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus is telling his followers, guys, just look with eyes around you. There are so many who are ready. There are so many who are in darkness, who are hurting, who are pain, and they're ready. And, and if you look at the context here, it says Jesus' guts are like tingling, right? It, it's this sense of he's like moved with compassion, saying, guys, look around us. There's so many who are waiting. We just need workers to go out. It's that important. Matthew 28, page 712. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. We call this the Great Commission, the command that Jesus gave, one of his, uh, one of his last commands that we have recorded. Page 712, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of this age. It's this reminder that this is not kind of an option. This is not for some special Christians. This is not for those real evangelistic type of Christians who like crusades. This is actually the command that Jesus has given all of us. All of us are commanded. This is never meant to be a holy huddle. This is never meant to be a Bible thumper group where we just stay together and show each other how much we're growing. But it's always to be sent out. Go and make disciples. Teach. Help people to experience the power of Christ. It's a command. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 16. Page, six, seven, page 767. John 10, 16. And Jesus is speaking here. And he says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd, Jesus is giving a promise here. He recognizes in some sense, why does he give commands like this? Why does he give promises? Because he recognizes the human inclination that things stay with us. When we found a good thing, we want it to stay with us, right? We find a good restaurant. Sometimes we want people to know. I honestly don't tell that many people because I don't want it to get too crowded, right? (laughs) That's just me and I'm broken and sinful, right? But he's saying, you've got this good thing and others are meant to be part of this. They will hear my voice and they will come. 
This is a promise. They will listen to my voice. So go. Go to them. John chapter 14, verse 6. This is on page 771. John 14, 6. 771. Where Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is just laying it out. It's saying, if you um, believe that I am the way and the truth and the life, your mandate is you need other people to hear about me too. Because I'm telling you, I am the way. I am the only truth. I am the only life. Go tell others because there is a way. Go. One of my favorite passages in scripture, Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 15. Romans 10. 11 to 15. This is page 810. The Apostle Paul is writing here in his letter to the Romans. Romans 10, 11 to 15. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved How then will they call on him and him who, whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We can believe in like magical, oh yeah, you know what? Maybe someone will turn on the radio and they'll hear a message about Jesus and God will save them. And I, or maybe he'll come to them in a dream. I, I believe that can happen. But I think the more normal mandate is people receive Christ when they hear the gospel taken to them. How will people hear if they have not had someone tell them? Our call is to be the ones who take this message of life. One more, Philemon. And it's only one chapter. Philemon, verse 6, page 859. Some of you, you need the page number because you have no idea what that is. Page 859, Philemon, verse 6, where the author writes, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Let me read that again. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And this just wows me. Because what this is saying is, for you to experience the fullness of Christ, it comes as you share your faith. And we all want to be deep Christians, I think. But we've got this weird Western mindset that happens in some academy. That we go to some school and that's going to automatically lead to a deeper, more richer, more fulfilled walk with Christ. And this is saying, yeah, maybe that's part of it. But the full knowledge of every good thing that's, that is in us for the sake of Christ, it also comes through the sharing of our faith. And I want want to be really mindful here. I'm not about cause and effect in every situation. But I think for many Christians, the reason that we're not really growing in much depth and maturity is we don't share our faith. And we're like, why aren't I growing more? 
Because it's not going outside from us the way that it was intended to. Life is meant to be journeyed following Jesus into the world. And I want to take a few verses here, and this is up on our screen, Acts chapter 17, verses 24 to 27, and pick this apart a little bit as it talks about what that might look like for us in terms of a presence. Acts chapter 17, 24 to 27, and this is the Apostle Paul. He's preaching in Greece in, in, in this place called the Areopagus. This is like some of you who love like classical studies, you love this, right? Because he's engaging right in people who love philosophy and classic thought. He goes right at it. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. These are some of the most amazing words as I sink my teeth into them. These words just like sh- shake me as I, as I think about the implications and giving me great hope. Because we observe a God here who's described as having made everything. He's made the world and everything in it. This includes everyone. It includes you and me, but it's not just you and me. It means everyone. It means your neighbors. It means your friends. It means your relatives, your coworkers, your classmates. God has made everything and everyone. Acts and verse 25 here. It shows, it says he's not served by human hands. God doesn't need us. God does not need us. We actually need him. We need him for our breath. We need him to just get through a day. We need God. And verse 26 says, God has marked out how long each of us will live and where we will live. There are allotted periods, allotted times. He has marked out where we will be at what time. There are some significant implications with that. What that means is those neighbors on your block, those people who live on your block, God put them there. Um, That woman who was hired by your office and now works down the cubicle from you, God placed her there. That, That guy who comes to your clinic, God brought him there. That, that family whose kids go to your kid's school, God placed them there. That classmate that you study with, um, why did he come to study in Baltimore? You know, maybe in his mind, he thought it was for personal and professional advancement um, to, to grow and to learn different things. In reality, God has brought him here into the city, into that school. Why? You see why in verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. God has continually been reaching out to people so that they would be in a place to reach out to him. God has continued to order our steps, and many of you are evidence to that if you look at your journey. God has done things in our life. God has placed us where we are so that we would be in a place to respond to God's reaching out to us and reach to him. The reason God has placed your neighbors where they are, the, the reason why your friends have the friends that they do, why your coworkers work in the place that they do, is so that they will be impacted by the good news of Jesus. Another way I'd put it, why has God placed all of these different people right where they are right now in this time in history, in this place, so that they'll be in your presence? You're like, whoa, I didn't think you were going there. 
God has placed all the people that maybe are on your minds into this place and time, in this place geographically. Why? So that they would be placed into your presence if you follow Christ. That they would have the opportunity to get to know you. So why did God place you where you work? Um, In a very real sense, I mean, it's so that you can be a blessing by working hard, working with integrity, working with honor, not being that dude that steals like the paper clips, you know, that you can with integrity say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm earning my keep, not including those extra paper clips there. You know, you work hard. You're not that Christian who spends so much time like talking about Jesus and listening to Jesus music that you're known in the office as like the worst worker there. Like, yeah, I must, I guess he loves Jesus, but he stinks at work. You're not that. You have full integrity. You have honor. Um, you have a good means to support yourself and, and those that you care for. I mean, that's real. But I want to suggest to you all, first and foremost, God has put you where you are so that others might experience and hear the good news of Jesus. That's the main significant driving thing for our lives. God has placed every single person intentionally and with purpose where they are at this point, and that includes you and me. There are no accidents why you know the people that you do. Some of you are like, I wish I didn't know some of the people I do. Tough noogies, right? That's God's providence. You know some of the people that you do because God intended them for for them to be in your life. Because people need Jesus. People need Jesus, and if you know Jesus, if you're in this room and you have a relationship with God, you have the most valuable thing in the world to offer someone. More than a 401k, more than incredible skills, more than the ability to scan the market, more than the ability to teach what, you have the most precious gift that's meant to be shared with another person. It's this knowledge of living in Christ, of experience new life in Jesus and, and this understanding that God is sovereign, that he has placed every single person intentionally where they are at this time, he's in control. He's very intentional in purposes. This is supposed to provide meaning to how we live. It, because the reality is we forget really easily why we live. I mean, honestly, if, 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 if the Christian message is just about like keeping information and it automatically changes, we don't need to get together every week. We know we can say, all right, guys, you got it. Jesus died. He rose again. Go live on mission. See you in six months. We need to come regularly. Come to this table. Be reminded of this Jesus. Be reminded of the call he's invited us onto. Because I forget. I leak. I got like little spiritual leakage all over me. Like I'm losing it. Right? I hear it. I'm like, oh, yeah, praise God. And then, oh, uh, who's God again? Like, I, I, I forget. And I need to marinate in these things because I need to decenter myself. I need to decenter myself from how I would normally operate apart from God. And why do I call it decentering? Because left to myself, I become the center of my existence. Left to myself, in my flesh, without the power and the spirit of God. And I'm a little embarrassed to say this in front of you because I know you all look at me as some spiritual giant. But I, I, get, I lose sight of what my life is about. I think that I'm like the main character on that Netflix show and everyone else is the supporting cast. That's what I think. I think when the music starts coming on and the first big block name, it's me, right? I think that's, that's how I live life. And y'all are meant to kind of support my life. But that's, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible actually says it's about God. 
and we all play supporting roles. They're significant roles. There's no bit roles in the kingdom of God, but we're all supporting roles. We're not meant to be the center, and we need to decenter ourselves. Because normal life leads to putting ourselves primary. And I've, I've, I've seen this evidence in my life, and uh, some of you are so sick of hearing about my dissertation, right? But it's like consumed me, because no one told me that nothing else in life is not going to stop. I don't know why I had this fantasy land that everything's going to stop. My kids are just going to freeze for two months. And, and, and church, you guys are all just going to kind of take care of yourself, and I'm just going to be able to focus. And it's been killing me, right? And what I've realized is, man, you must sound so selfish to people. All you talk about is how hard your life is with this thing. How much time that's spending, and you don't have time to do it. You've got all these other responsibilities, and oh, my woe is me. And what I've recognized is, man, I start to see everything through a grid of how is this going to impact me? Oh, man, I don't have much time here. Oh, that, that kind of conversation, that'll take a while. I got a lot to do. Man, that would really be a burden on what I need to do here. Oh, man, that's so inconvenient. Why do they have to have that issue today? <laughs> and, and what happens is if I'm in the center of my life, those questions are totally valid because it operates around me. But when I decenter myself, I realize, you know, I'm not the center of the world. It doesn't mean I'm not important. I have much value in God. Heck yeah, I'm a child of God. But it's not about me. It's about God and his glory. And that involves other people. I'm reminded of that, that when I, because um, I've made excuses and my wife, she'll give testament to this. I've got, an, I've got one of our neighbors who God has been preparing him to receive good news. And I've had a lot of opportunities to talk, but I just keep saying, oh, man, I'm so busy right now. And I've even texted him, like, yo, let's get that coffee in like two weeks, right? But if we just step into a place where we recognize God has placed every person where they're at, neighbors are not just randomly, oh, the property value is better here. We better move into this neighborhood. God has placed them there. And God has placed you there. Oh, wow, I didn't get accepted to any other school. I guess I'm going here. No, 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 no. God has placed you here. God has placed them there. God has ordered everyone's steps for this time in history. And if we open our eyes, I think missional living... It starts with just realizing God is in control. And if we believe he's in control, our responsibility is to say, God, I'm going to intentionally be present in my life right now with the people you've put me around. And I would ask you to even pray for our neighbor because you know, we, been, we've been living uh, for a few years in the same, same block. And I, sometimes I think we think evangelistically and you get preachers up and say, you know what? I was on an airplane and I had a trip and I just want to take a nap, but oh man, they, God put someone right next to me in my seat, right? Not seat A, seat B, right, right next to me. Oh man, and I just had five minutes, but I shared the good news of Jesus. And praise God, there's another person in the kingdom of heaven. Praise God. I, I mean, I think that can happen, but I'm going to suggest it doesn't always happen like that. Sometimes the way the kingdom of heaven works is you invest in someone and it feels like... It feels like Wile E. Coyote, right? Over and over again. Right? Splat, splat, splat. But it's being kind to someone. It's being loving. It's with a neighbor, for instance, who you reach out to and you, you get every opportunity you can to talk. And, and then out of the blue, you get a message saying, hey man, can we talk? Because I'm going through some really hard stuff. Because they know you're a Christian. And the one thing about every person, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, the one commonality of every single person born on this earth is you will go through hard times. 
You will go through situations that rock your world. You will go through instances that you have no rational way to explain. At that moment, you're looking for someone who seems to believe in a bigger hope than you do. Because you ain't got nothing. No one needs God when everything's good. It's when everything is rotten. You're looking for someone who seems to have some kind of hope. And you get those text messages and you get together. It's the winter time. And he, he, he's like, hey, man, you're a pastor, right? Can I go to your church and pray? I'm like, it's freezing in there. Are you sure about that? He's like, yeah, I need to. I'm going through stuff. And, and if I would just decenter myself, realizing God is at work in the people that we're with, if we believe he's in control. You're not with who you are by accident. Because sometimes we get really stressed or we get overwhelmed at this idea of sharing good news with others. I mean, it becomes like a scenario of like the worst kind of asking someone out on a date. I guess obviously, no one here has had bad experiences with that, right? But that really, really awkward kind of like you're not sure how to go. Oh, this feels really weird. And uh, man, that, uh, what do they understand what I'm intending right now? My words, man. Just this awkward thing when we t- think about trying to share the message of Jesus. And I think maybe some of the problem is we make it too much about ourselves. You know, we're worried we don't have the right words. I didn't read enough books about that. What am I going to do with those kind of questions? Or, man, my life right now is pretty rotten. I'm a pretty bad reflection to God. They're going to remember last Friday. <laughs> and, and we think, oh, man, I can't share my, I can't tell people I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm a horrible witness. I, I think there's some real stuff there. I think some of the responsibility is brush up on your knowledge of the Bible. Read some more. Get to know. Know how science and the Bible intersects. Know how to answer certain questions. I think it's responsible. Yeah, tighten up. I think morally, uh, and this might sound controversial, I think sometimes to know that we are used as a witness for God should mean we should look at our lives and say, is there some discrepancy in who I am? Because what's the biggest challenge for a lot of non-Christians? Christians are all a bunch of hypocrites. You talk one message, man, I know you. So yeah, maybe God is calling us. There are some areas of our life that are not congruent with what we say we believe and to ask God to change that in us and transform us in those things. But ultimately, it's grasping that God is in control and that his means, it's always been to use his people. This gives me great freedom in loving others. If we believe in a sovereign God who has the authority and the power to change people, A life on mission can be the simple commitment to say, I will be intentionally present where I am now with those I am around right now. I will open up my life. I will share my life with those around me. Let God do what he does, and we do what we're called to do. And I think that's one of the reasons we're considering this idea of a new church plant coming out of the village, and we have a meeting next Sunday. And I want to ask you guys, we're going to give more details here. It's not going to be a long meeting, but it's going to be an intentional one where we talk about why are we talking about um, our city and how are we talk about a new church expression. I like it here. Why would we want to do something else? Because the main reason that we see is that um, new churches are the best way that you connect with the unchurched. New expressions of church are the best way that people who do not know God come to experience God. That's been our experience at the village And that experience is shared in many new churches. That's why we're considering this. And on that note, I'm going to ask you to pray about this. I'm going to ask you to prayerfully consider. Just come to the meeting, but pray as well. Say, God, is this something that you're calling me to be possibly be part of? And consider it.
what that would look like in your life. As we ask, how can more people hear the message of Jesus? There's an old, well-known Christian singer. He, he passed away in an, in an accident. His name was Keith Green. And he said this quote that just, it's, I should have gotten it as like a license plate because it burned into my memory. But this generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls on earth. This generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls on earth. That doesn't mean that we're responsible to change anyone. Our theology is too, uh, it's biblical. We, we, we don't believe any of us are able to change anyone. But what we do have the responsibility to do is to be present, to love, to serve, to put ourselves out there. It's one of the reasons why it's so important that we come to regularly worship God like we do here. Because if we believe that the most important thing that we have to share with another person is our faith in God... We want to do all that we can do to be in his presence as much as possible. We need a way and a means that we remember, why do we call this good news again? Because I forget throughout the week, oh yeah, and we hear the gospel, we sing the gospel, we talk the gospel with one another, and we're reminded again, why is this good news? Why is this so compelling? How, why is this something that I cannot dare keep to myself when it's this glorious? Oh yeah, God, thanks for reminding me. And it's in the midst of this culture where we're told, man, the kind of life you're talking about is kind of dangerous. I kind of like the idea of going off in a commune with other Christians who share my values. I got a lot of that during the riots in our city. I got a lot of that, especially as a, as a, as a Korean American who um, many of the merchants who had stores that were looted during the riots, during the unrest, I, I had some Koreans say, man, that... You're in Baltimore? That's dangerous. Aren't you worried about your little girls? Why would you do that? And and we got to be reminded, God has never promised a safe existence on this earth. We've got it twisted. God promises full awareness and wholeness of who we are in him. I mean, don't get it twisted. No one can take it. But God has not promised that our bodies would not be damaged. Our lives would not be upturned. He's never promised any of that. He's promised he would be glorified. And I'm so thankful as I think about what good news is this message that we remember when we take the communion. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't choose safety. I'm so glad that a God who could have resided in perfect uh, comfort and safety didn't say, oh, wow, that's going to be dangerous. It might lead to a thing called a cross. (laughs) I'll, I'll refrain. He entered into our world. He entered into danger. He entered into situations. Why? To bring light into dark places. And we are called to do the same thing as we follow him into the world. Bow your heads with me. And I would invite you right now to just take a moment to reflect on on anything God might be speaking into your heart from here. And if you're like me, again, maybe I I feel embarrassed saying it. Life becomes about me. That's just the reality for me. I need Jesus. 
I need Jesus continually because it comes about me. Can I invite you to be reminded what your life is about? It's not just about keeping your dream going. It's about entering the story God has laid out here that he invites you to be part of. Even in your brokenness, even in your woundedness, some of you might feel you have absolutely nothing to offer. You, you barely have enough to keep yourself going. Perhaps some of the way that God will keep you going is connecting you to himself. Because the best way that we get to know God is when we're doing his work and resting in his ways. So I want to invite you to that. I want to invite you to ask as you pray. If you're a Christian, ask for boldness. Ask for reminders. Ask to be decentered and to be centered on the one who makes life right. And the way we do that as Christians is to come to this thing called the table. And we take of the bread and we remember Jesus' command to eat of his body. And we dip into the cup and we're reminded the way that our sins are forgiven. Our lives are made whole. Not through what we could do, but through what Jesus did. And I want to invite you as you come to the table, let that be your means by which you are decentered. Pray about the people who are in your life. There are no accidents. There are no accidents. There's no random instances. God is in control. Maybe you could ask a prayer, God, why am I where I am? Who have you placed around me for a purpose that I could be a blessing? And for some of us, maybe, maybe you're on the other end and you're hearing this message of Jesus and you're, you're remarking, why would God let himself be sacrificed in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, because of deep love, because he wants to make you whole and we recognize there was no other way we could do it. Only Jesus had the authority to do that. He gave up his life. He entered darkness. He entered a place where he knew he would be hated, where he would be abused, where he would be called a criminal, though he was the only one innocent, where he would be beaten and hung up next to other criminals. Lose his name. Sacrifice himself. Be separated, not relationally from his father, but in a way so that we would be able to be brought to the father. If that's you, I want to invite you to join us in this story.